Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hello, podcast listeners. Welcome back to another episode. We're so happy to be with you. Thank you, everybody, for all the questions you send our way. We're so grateful. We couldn't do this podcast if we didn't have people who sent us questions. And we're actually interested in hearing what we have to say. And also, thank you to those of you who let us know that you're a podcast listener when we are at an event or have the opportunity, because we, it really does help us to see your face, to know, you know, we're, we're sharing this message with others. So thank you. Yeah, that is, it's reaching hearts. That's yeah. a real encouragement. Yeah. We had a funny thing happen in our household recently that in most houses would not be would a funny not thing. be very eventful. So I, I think it's it's related to what we say at the end of our podcast <laughs> that, you know, indispensable, irreplaceable, unrepeatable. unrepeatable. We recently needed to get a new toaster in our house, and it caused such humor amongst our children because sometimes in Christopher's talks, he is trying to illustrate the difference between a human being and something that is dispensable, replaceable, repeatable. And the the prime example he uses is... <laughs> For whatever reason, a toaster. <laughs> right. You know, if you tell me what you say. Yeah, right? I say, well, if your toaster breaks, you dispense with it you get rid of it if your toaster breaks you get a new one because toasters are replaceable uh, if your toaster breaks you may get the exact same model because there are a million of them at the amazon warehouse toasters are repeatable yeah but the human person is indispensable irreplaceable and unrepeatable yes. so broken toaster in the west house yeah uh, we dispensed with it we replaced it. We didn't get the same model. We got a new and improved model. It is it is different, but lots of other people have that same one. And our kids And there were a million of them at the Amazon that's warehouse. That's right. And our kids just found it so Very funny humorous. to get a new toaster and replace the broken toaster. <laughs> so tell us what's going on with the TOB Institute. We have the virtual conference coming up at the end of the month, the 30th of April, through that first weekend that overlaps with May. We're really excited this year. We have four different tracks. We have the introduction track to the Theology of the Body and John Paul II's Thought. I did four talks there on love and responsibility. We have a track for clergy and religious. We have a Spanish track and we have a St. Joseph track in honor of the year of St. Joseph. We have some great speakers, a whole new lineup of talks. We have Scott Hahn coming. We have Ted Sree coming. Uh, we have all the, the speakers at the TOB Institute are going to be there. Great lineup. Check out the link below to learn more. Sign up is free. Uh, over 90 presentations. Mm. So we're really, really excited about that. Mm -hmm. That's great. We also have, in May, we have, for the first time online, Theology of the Body and the Marian Mystery course through the Institute. It was a joy, absolute joy, to teach that course. I took about two years of my spare time, so to speak, in, in crafting that study guide for that course, uh, drawing on 25 years of uh, prayer and research on who the Blessed Mother is, it was a real joy to put that course together. Theology of the Body and the Marian Mystery. Check out the link below to sign up for that course. That's awesome. 
we have our first question from a patron. Patron is a woman named Archie. Archie, thank you so much for your monthly support of the Theology of the Body Institute. We cannot do this work without people like you, Archie. We are so grateful. And if anybody out there is inclined to become a patron, know that in supporting us month to month uh, for just $10, if you want to offer more, we would gratefully receive it, but $10 a month gets you access to all kinds of exclusive benefits and ongoing formation in the theology of the body. Can't do this work without our patrons. Thank you so much, Archie. What is Archie's question? She says, my husband and I are natural family planning teachers with the Billings Method. We believe that using NFP has brought us closer to God. We know theology of the body is the foundation for our closeness. Do you have any thoughts about how we can begin to share this amazing gift with our young children, ages five, four, and two? Excellent question. Uh, and I, I love how she's feeling uh, the benefits of practicing natural family planning and how that's brought them closer. We can certainly speak to that as well, how just a knowledge of the wonder of how God made our bodies. It fills you with awe. It fills you with reverence. John Paul II says, reverence for the mystery of God revealed through the human body is the true motivation to honor the body. When we don't know how beautiful our bodies are, we don't know what kind of honor they deserve. Yeah. And, and it's coming through in, in her question that she has taken that in. And I would just say, building on that, share that honor, mm -hmm. share that reverence with your children. Uh, yes, look for opportunities to do that, but just in the normal course of a day, there are so many opportunities to, to show what reverence and awe we have for the mystery of our bodies at a meal. Mm. Talk about the, the wonder of eating, the wonder of food, the wonder of the human body in in digesting. You know, when we say grace at our house, I'll usually say something about uh, gratitude for the cow that died or the chickens that died so that we could have this food. And we talk about how life comes from death, from sacrifice, uh, that eating itself, every meal we have is meant to open our hearts and prepare us for the bread come down from heaven. Uh, that becomes an opportunity to talk about how awesome the incarnation is that God took on flesh. This is the ultimate source of the dignity of the human body. God took on flesh. Uh, when you're changing a diaper, it's an opportunity to talk about how awesome your, your son or daughter's body is, to, to show reverence and awe for the mystery of their body. When you're bathing your children, it's an opportunity to talk about how holy their body is, especially their genitals. This is a time to, you know, when you're bathing their tender parts, to talk about why did God give you these tender parts? This is a special part of your body that God gave you to call you to holy communion. Uh, those are kind of expressions that we would use with our, our children when we were giving them baths or changing their diaper. Holy communion, holy communion. Try to ingrain in your children that their, their genitals are a call to holy communion. They don't need to know all the full details of what that means. Eventually, they'll have natural, normal, healthy questions. And our philosophy has always been, if your child asks an honest question, they deserve an honest 
answer. It doesn't mean you need to give him all the details. Uh, but I remember, I don't remember which child it was, but I remember after years of using that language, um, you're called to life-giving love. You're called to holy communion. To be a gift. To be a gift. I'd say to the boys, when when you grow up to be a man, God gave you a penis because when you grow up to be a man, uh, if you're called to be a husband and a father like I am, uh, you're going to be called to make a gift of your body. You know, uh, to give yourself away in love would be expressions we would use. And I, I remember one of the boys said, "Well, how do I give my body away in love? What does that mean?" Uh, uh, and and then you you build on that. You say, well, your your body is designed to to have a special hug with your wife, if that's the appropriate language at that stage of your life. And then when it's appropriate to give the full glory of all that it entails, then it's appropriate to do that. We did get to the point, I remember John Paul was four or five years old, he was in the bathtub, and he he asked me what was under his penis. And I said, those are your testicles, bud. And he said, what are they for? And I said, well, when you get to be a man, your testicles are going to make seeds. And if you're called to to be a husband and a father like I am, you're going to give those seeds to your wife, and that's how babies come into the world. And he thought that was pretty cool and like, wow, awesome, wow. And we played it all up like this is your superpower. And and I think uh, maybe, <laughs> maybe some of the kids were a little disappointed later on when they realized their superpower was not like they could fly or something. Um, <laughs> but I, I would tell them they have a superpower, right? That bringing new life into the world is a superpower. But tell our listeners, Wendy, the story of what John Paul said to you the next day when he was driving yeah. in the car with you somewhere. Yeah. When I'm a man and the two nickels by my penis start to work. <laughs> I can't remember what he said he was going to do, but I like the way nickels? he described it. Two nickels were going to start to work. I think we work. told that story in one of our earliest podcasts. Oh, yeah, maybe that's right. Um, anyway, I, I always make the joke that uh, how funny it is that my son reduced the value of the family jewels to 10 cents. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, in all, all of that is to say, Archie, um, speak in terms of awe and reverence with your children and share the awe and reverence that you have for the gift and wonder of their bodies. That would be my suggestion. I would just add that, you know, our our words and our actions have to be congruent, that children especially learn through their interactions with others. And um, so you're simply showing loving affection in a way that respects the boundaries of your children, that is just healthy and holy affection that you show you know kindness to their physical bodies that maybe you know even if you're frustrated at a moment that you you still handle them with gentleness that all of that is like our actions confirming or you know forming an integral whole with the words you're talking about sharing with our children that our our behavior toward one another and and the things we ask of them with one another, the way we ask them to show respect for one another's physical bodies, physical space, all of that is just kind of confirming this sense of dignity of the body, goodness of human love and relationships, a sense of there being kind of a proper order to our family life that we were grateful to have received from God. All of that is also coming through just in our, our daily interaction with one another. And we don't need to, you know, there will come a time when the children are older to introduce them to all kinds of things, but 
but know that that's all in the foundation of their lives. Yeah. I, here are two recommendations as well in terms of resources, actually three recommendations, and we'll put links to these in the show notes. One would be a document that came out of the Vatican in the 90s. It's still very relevant today. It's called The Truth and Meaning of Human Sexuality, uh, Guidelines for Education in the Family. Uh, that's a great read. Uh, there's a book by uh, Greg and Lisa Popchak called Beyond the Birds and the Bees, um, which is a great resource for parents to pass on this beautiful vision to their children. I gave a series of talks a number of years ago, gosh, I don't know, 15 years ago. We used to have them on CD, but we now have them available electronically for our patrons in the patron community. And I think that series is called Beyond the Talk, um, Sharing the Theology of the Body with Your Children or something like that. It's one of, it was one of the best-selling CD series we ever did, and that is, again, available electronically uh, in the patron community site. So if you're interested in that, we'd love to have you as a patron, and there's a whole library of talks there for patrons as well. Hmm. Our next question is from Cassie. Hello, Cassie. Cassie says, hi. My question is in regards to gender dysphoria, specifically how to address and discuss Catholic teachings and gender change to children and other non-Catholic friends. Here's the background. I very recently made the decision to take my children out of public school. There were numerous issues, including the introduction of condom use and where to get them to my 11-year-old. Good God. But my question is in regards to my 10-year-old daughter. Her friend has come out to the classroom as changing genders. They watched videos on the subject and essentially were told everyone has the freedom to choose their sex and gender doesn't equal biology, essentially. I've read your book, Theology of the Body for Beginners. It was amazing. But can you give me some go-to compassionate conversation to spread to my children as well as non-Catholic friends who are asking about my decision to homeschool and the LGBTQ movement? Cassie, I think you are very wise to do what you have done. Uh, your children need to be spared that indoctrination of an incredibly damaging, rupturing, and I would even say death-dealing ideology. And I'm not mincing my words here because we, we need to speak frankly about what is going on in our culture. Why do I call it death-dealing? Because the very definition of death is the separation of body and soul. And that's what this ideology is rooted in, the separation of the body and the soul. Wendy, can you read that line again where she says, can you give me compassionate something? Mm -hmm. Can you give me some go-to compassionate conversation for my children and friends? Okay, yes, go-to compassionate conversation. Here's where we, of course, must and should have compassion on those who experience, as Cassie has described it, and I think this is the proper description, gender dysphoria, which is a condition, it's a psychological condition, of feeling that inside one's sense of self does not correspond to one's body, to one's God-given gender. The compassionate thing is to recognize this is a real problem that many people certainly experience. 
there is a disconnect here, an experienced disunity between the body and the soul. But why do we jump to the conclusion that the solution is to change the body, to reconstruct with surgery and hormones the outward appearance of the person? The church is in full recognition that this is a problem. There is a disconnect between the interior and the exterior reality of this person. There is a, a dysphoria. That's what the very word indicates. But again, why do we jump to think we should reconstruct the body with surgery and hormones, which really and truly, if we are to give a proper name to what that surgery is, it's bodily mutilation. We are mutilating good, properly functioning body parts. Hmm. The church holds out that the solution to this problem is not exterior. The solution to this problem is interior. But we have come no longer to believe that an interior healing or transformation is really possible. And we've come not to believe this because we've lost faith in the gift of our redemption. Christ came into the world to heal the rupture that sin brought into the world and into our humanity. And that rupture is felt by each and every one of us in the relationship of body and soul. Gender dysphoria is one manifestation of that rupture. There are many, many others. The healing comes through an integration of body and soul proper counseling can help with, but in the end, the real solution is the grace that comes through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, I want to say this uh, to, to put an image to what's going on in our culture. I once heard it said that in order to grow up with a, a healthy sense of one's own gender, and when I use the word gender, I mean our God-given gender, our creation as male or female. And let me just rewind for a moment here and define the word gender, uh, reclaim its true and original definition. Uh, the word gender, the Greek root in there is gen. We see the same root in words like generous, generate, progeny, genealogy, genetics, genes, genitals. That Greek root gen means to produce or give birth to. When we understand that, we can recognize that the word gender means the manner in which you generate new life. And that is determined by one's genitals. So the male gender's genitals generates new life with sperm. The female gender's genitals generate new life with eggs. Uh, and notice the eggs can't generate on their own, nor can the sperm. They need to come together, and that happens through genital intercourse, the generative act, the act of generation. The act of generation through the union of genitals leads to the next generation. Hmm. That's why God gave us gender. That's why God gave us genitals, to generate the next generation. When we fail to see this, when we erase the generative power of our genitals from our humanity, which is what we have done in our contraceptive culture. When we view gender with condom-colored glasses, if you will, the meaning of gender gets erased. 
and it becomes some uh, some psychological interior understanding of gender, rather than something rooted in our genitals, rooted in our generative power, right? And this becomes very, very clear that it is impossible. It is absolutely biologically, surgically, and every other way impossible to enable a woman who generates with ovaries to somehow give her testicles that would generate with sperm. It's impossible. You can surgically recraft her body to have the appearance in some ways of a male, but you can never, you can never give her testicles and a penis that can generate new life. In other words, it is impossible. It is impossible for a woman to become a man. You can never, conversely, give a man ovaries and a womb and enable him to generate new life as a woman. It is impossible for a man to become a woman. It is impossible for a woman to become a man when we understand what gender really is. All of that was a little bit of an aside to bring me back to this. Uh, I once heard uh, a psychologist say, a Catholic psychologist, someone who really understood these, these issues, in order for someone to grow up with a proper gender identity, you have to have two tracks. The track of gender identification for a boy that's growing up with healthy males in his life uh, with whom he can identify and say, I want to be like that when I grow up. And then the track of gender complementarity. Again, for the male, that would mean healthy women in his life who, who enjoy being women, who are integrated as women, and, and he can say, I am not that. I honor that, I respect that, but I am not that. Those two tracks will enable that boy's train to travel along in such a way that he can, in a healthy way, grow up and say, happily, I am a male. I'm glad I'm a male. I like being a male. I'm not a woman. I don't want to be a woman. I love being a man. Conversely, for the young girl, her track of gender identification is women in her lives, and complementarity would be men in her lives. And ideally, for all of us, this happens primarily through a healthy mother and a healthy father who love each other, and we know we came from their love, and we enjoy that, we receive that, we embrace that, and that's a good thing in our lives. Okay, wouldn't that be nice if that's the way the world worked? It's the way the world is meant to work. It's not the way the world works because we live in a fallen world. And one of the main effects of the fall is the disintegration of masculinity and femininity and the disintegration of the male-female relationship, which is marriage. Uh, we grow up in this fallen world, and, and particularly in a post-sexual revolution world, we grew up with entire sections of our tracks missing. Uh, when we have had fathers who have abandoned us or abused us or mothers who were manipulative uh, or, or sexually perverse, um, there can be any number of reasons in our upbringings that there are entire sections of those tracks missing. So what does that do to our train? our train can very easily get derailed because of these missing sections of the tracks. Thanks be to God for Jesus Christ and his mother Mary, a fully integrated male, a fully integrated female, 
and we can get grafted into their holy family. And this brings St. Joseph into the picture too. Imagine the, the, the integration that was available to St. Joseph living in the presence of the Immaculate Conception and the Word made flesh. Through our baptisms, we get grafted into the Holy Family, and we have here an example of a father and a mother and a child who lived beautifully, fully, integrally, gender identity as male and female. Getting grafted into that family in our baptism works the miracle of replacing those missing sections of our track so that our train can run along that track in such a way that we can reclaim an authentic gender identity as the male, as the female that God created us to be. I go into much more detail in all of this than I'm able to here on the podcast in the latest edition, and that's important, the 2018 edition of Good News About Sex and Marriage. I added a brand new chapter in that 2018 edition on these gender identity questions, and I would urge uh, anyone out there who wants to learn more, uh, please, please uh, pick up a copy of that book. I'd also recommend a book called uh, when Harry Became Sally. It's actually been banned from Amazon uh, because of the nature of the book. You know, this ideology is spreading, and if you don't buy into this new uh, gender ideology, which is really a, a de-gender ideology, um, you get banned or you get canceled from culture. We're seeing this in the fact that Amazon no longer carries this book, When Harry Became Sally. It's an excellent read. It uses secular research uh, to present the, the real problems involved in all of these issues. So those are two resources I would recommend. I have a little story on my mind just to thinking about her children in public school and also the earlier question from our patron about educating young children. This memory came to me as you were sharing of um, when our daughter Grace was in a public school for kindergarten, and I'm thankful her, her experience there was not like your children's in their public school. But there was a day when in the class um, they were having a discussion of what they were going to be when they grew up. And so the teacher was kind of leading this and different children were talking about being a, a teacher or a fireman or um, a doctor, these different things. And our daughter Grace um, stood up and when it was her turn and said, when I grow up, I'm going to be a woman. <laughs> <laughs> And her teacher told me about that. I'm so thankful that she didn't correct her, you know, yeah. question that. But she was really delighted at the simple understanding of, I really don't know what work I'm going to do, but this I know. <laughs> right now I'm a girl, and when I grow up, I'll be a woman. I loved that um, from her teacher. And then I also just wanted to kind of sum up some of what you expounded on into maybe a, a small sample that could be yes, please. useful. Go for it, Wendy. This is your gift. <laughs> it's just, just, it's pulling from what you said, but um, that acknowledgement that there are people that really do suffer. Yes, yes, it's real. And that the question is not whether the suffering is real, but whether what our culture is saying as the is, solution will help well, yeah. is truly helpful. And, and perhaps we're buying into something that many people are going to have many regrets yes, yes. later on. And that 
We don't want to teach our children that um, what the culture is proposing as answers really are good answers when we we have such a reverence for God having created our bodies yes. with a purpose that we yes. want to honor. Amen. So if that that sense of just a very simple way of saying the caution about what's being promoted as good might really produce a lot more suffering in the future and not wanting our children to buy into that message. And this is something that that book, When Harry Became Sally, unfolds. There's already a good amount of research out there that shows the real pain and suffering and regret mm. of those who have, as it's called, transitioned. Are we solving the real problem here? If, or are we doing more damage? Are we, in a sense, concretizing the problem uh, of the dysphoria by trying to reconstruct the body? There is another way to bring about healing and integration. There is another way to bring about the communion that is desired between the interior and the exterior experience of that person's humanity. And, and that's the hope that the church has to offer. And I know you are connected with several ministries, people who are speakers or who work with different people in this you know, in these kinds of suffering yes. situations, can you just share, sure. highlight any of that for us? Uh, two, two ministries I would strongly uh, encourage anyone to to learn more about, to take part in their, their programs. Uh, one is called Desert Stream, and the program they offer is called Living Waters. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. And another one is called Eden Invitation. Uh, we'll put a, a link to that in the show notes as mm -hmm. well. And... In the upcoming um, conference, do you have some speakers yes. on this specific yes. topic? Yes, we will. Okay. Our next question is from an anonymous listener. Hello, Christopher and Wendy. Hello. I was introduced to Theology of the Body through Dr. Julie Slattery's ministry, Authentic Intimacy. Yes, I've been on many uh, radio interviews with her. She's a beautiful Protestant woman who's doing some really good work. I've just finished reading Our Bodies Tell God's Story, and I've been profoundly impacted and moved by TOB. I would say Our Bodies Tell God's Story is one of the favorite books ever. Awesome. I've also been learning a lot from your podcast. Thank you for modeling a loving marriage together in your podcast. As a married woman, I have questions about what sexual behaviors are honoring in the bedroom. Can you direct me to where I can have questions about this answered? I'm also wondering in what order I should read your books and resources. What are the next steps in educating myself about TOB? Thank you again for your ministry and for sharing your marriage through the podcast. You are so welcome. We're so happy that you've written to us. It sounds from what you've said that you're probably uh, Protestant. That's probably how you came across my book, Our Bodies Tell God's Story, which is uh, a theology of the body book that I wrote for pro a Protestant audience. So glad you discovered that book. I'm so glad that you know of Julie Slattery and the good work that she's doing. Here's what I would suggest. Here's kind of an order if you want to dive more deeply into my work and my, my content. Uh, Book-wise, I would begin, uh, well, you've already begun with Our Bodies Tell God's Story. I would go from there to Good News About Sex and Marriage. That's my Q&A book. I mentioned that already in this podcast. 
that's almost 150 questions. And we get into some very um, frank conversation. You said you had some some nitty-gritty questions about what honors the Lord in the marriage bed. Maybe you didn't say nitty-gritty. I just have Nacho Libre on my brain. Let's get into the nitty-gritties. <laughs> uh, but yes, I do get into the nitty-gritties in Good News About Sex and Marriage. That's a good resource. There's a book also called Holy Sex by Greg and Lisa Popchak that I think is very helpful in terms of very practical information about how to honor the Lord in the marriage bed. I would go from there to a book I wrote called Fill These Hearts, God, Sex, and the Universal Longing. And I might go from there to my book Heaven's Song, Sexual Love as It Was Meant to Be. Then I might go to The Love That Satisfies, which is a reflection on Eros and Agape. Uh, then I might read my book, uh, Love is Patient But I'm Not, Confessions of a Recovering Perfectionist. In that book, I, I share a lot about our own journey as a married couple mm -hmm. and the struggles, the trials, the joys, the need for mercy, the need for ongoing purification and healing. Uh, it, it's a tour, that book, Love is Patient But I'm Not, is a tour through St. Paul's Hymn to Love, Love is Patient, Love is Kind. I go through that line by line, and I just tell stories about where we've needed to grow and learn. Um, then I might go to my book, Theology of the Body Explained. That will... That will take you the distance, if you will. That's an extended commentary on John Paul II's Theology of the Body. And then I might go from there to my book, At the Heart of the Gospel, Reclaiming the Body for the New Evangelization. And there's one or two others I've written, but I'm not remembering what they are right now. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a few others I've written. I think, I don't know, 15 books maybe I've written? I'm not even sure anymore. Uh yeah, so that's where I'd go. And please, I would I would strongly recommend that you consider taking one of our courses through the Theology of the yes. Body Institute, either online or or in person. And in person, know that you won't. You know, many times we have Protestant students yes. in the classroom. It's not exclusively Catholics. Uh, if you are able to come in person, that's what I would recommend. And we do have a course coming up in June. Uh, we'll have that link to our course schedule, a live course in June here in Pennsylvania. If you're able to get away for five days, I'm sure you will not regret that. You will, you will come away with a, a more profound understanding of what it means that you're a woman made in the image and likeness of God, how to love your husband, how to understand where we are in this culture and what's going on. You'll receive very practical tools as well for for living this theology of the body and, and sharing it with others. And I think you really come away understanding that you are a gift, an indispensable, irreplaceable, unrepeatable gift, and it will help you become what you are. Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you are going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes.